0: We start with crime in the city. The rise of random assaults on the streets of Vancouver. Do we need more police officers? We got Ralph Kaisers standing by, Vancouver Police Officers Union. Have a listen to this report here now from Global News reporter Jordan Armstrong about a a suspect in a series of break-ins. Have a listen to this. Police say he is a well-known property crime offender.
1: Investigators are trying to determine if the same suspect, a man in his 30s, is responsible for up to four break-ins yesterday, stretching from Kitsilano to UBC. Now, we mentioned the guy was arrested, but tonight, confirmation he's already
0: out of jail. VPD say he was let out on an undertaking to appear in court later because the Crown wants more evidence before charges are laid. Okay, it's just one of the frustrations that people have with the the system right now. The number of people who are reporting random violent break-ins, assaults, broken windows in the on the streets of Vancouver. Let's discuss all these issues now with my guest, Ralph Kaisers. Ralph is the president of the Vancouver Police Union. Very pleased to welcome him back, Ralph. Thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Hey, Ralph. What would you say to people when they hear a story like that? You know, a suspect of. We hear all about these prolific offenders who just get released back onto the streets, you know, commit more crimes, are arrested again, released again, rinse and repeat. I mean, it has got to be frustrating for police too.
2: Uh, Yes, I mean, it obviously is very frustrating. I I know our members, uh, obviously, they they will do what they can to uh, catch criminals uh, in the act or after they have committed a crime and bring those offenders to justice, Uh, at least we hope to justice, and quite often, I mean, there's times people, <laughs> criminals are, and I'm sorry, I'm laughing, uh, but there there certainly are times when criminals are released from the justice system before our members themselves have actually finished the paperwork uh, and in processing the uh, men, uh, the offenders that we've arrested.
0: Yeah, I mean, it must be frustrating to arrest the same people over and over again. I mean, you, I'm sure yeah. you've seen that.
2: Oh, completely. Uh, you know, on a personal level, I worked uh, in property crime for many years and, and again time and time again it would be the same offenders over and over committing uh break-ins to people's homes and businesses et cetera.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about the uh the rand the rise of random stranger assaults in the streets of Vancouver. Vancouver Police Department saying this is averaging four a day and this is one of the key concerns of people in the city right now. What can you tell me as the, as the head of the Police Officers Union about these random Random crimes, random assaults, random violence. Do we need more police officers on the street? Would that help? Um,
2: So, yes. I mean, obviously, we do need more police officers because resourcing is a huge issue for us in the department. Our members are burnt out. Uh, You know, the the department and our operations division, literally, I don't think, would be running um, without the amount of overtime that's needed to keep uh, the team staffed to the level where we... a minimum staffing levels so that we can uh, patrol our city. Um, and those numbers need to change because, uh, like, we we just cannot always be working on overtime. Uh, our members are literally expected to come in on their days off, uh, some of them almost all of their days off, to uh, simply stop the, the police department. Um, and they're 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 suffering. Uh, you know, our members are on the verge of uh, being burnt out, and we, we need help. We need help from the city and specifically city council uh when it comes time to budget time because we do need more mm. people we, you know we're we're at the resourcing levels that we were back pre-olympics like i know i've said this a number of times on your show but you know yeah. our, our resourcing levels are that of, you know 2009
0: Speaking of Ralph Kaiser, as he's the president of the Vancouver Police Officers Union. So speaking of city council, we're in the home stretch here of a municipal election, the election day less than two weeks away here now. And the union now taking a more active role in this election. Do you have a candidates debate or forum coming up? Is that tonight?
2: Yes, we do. Uh, And the point being is we are getting a little more involved. It is time for us to get more involved. Uh, I know the various other unions uh, that work for the city, uh, you know, most other unions actually endorse candidates. Uh, So, you know, we're taking a very measured approach to who we're endorsing. All our uh, candidates, mayoral candidates and parties were sent a questionnaire a couple of months ago from us. Uh, They've all responded. We've, uh, you know, we're reviewing their platform policy or platform announcements. Uh, and then as well, we're having this uh, candidate mayoral forum tonight where uh, all the parties and the mayoral candidates will be at and will be asked some questions. And we'll have the opportunity to ask one another some questions as well.
0: Okay. Are all the mayor candidates for mayor showing up tonight? Are they all committed to show up for this?
2: Um, my yeah, 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 yes. As far as I understand, good. not that someone sent their threats in the last minute or two, but
0: yeah, that's that's good to hear. Let's play a clip here of Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart here speaking on the criminal justice system. Of course, running for reelection here on the fifteenth. Here's the mayor. I'll get your thoughts.
2: The problem is, is when folks are are apprehended and then they're sent into the criminal justice system. Often charges are not pressed by Crown counsel, and these folks are let back into the community. Often they land in encampments or or single-room occupancy hotels. Uh, Or sometimes they do recommend charges. uh, Judges then uh, release them back in the community while they're waiting for a trial.
0: Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart there expressing some frustration with uh, prolific offenders, people being arrested, uh, criminals being arrested, released, arrested again, released again. I, Ralph, I mean, I'm—I'll be surprised if the police officers' union endorses the mayor for re-election here, or is that, or maybe you will. I don't know. You tell me.
2: Uh, you know what? Like I said, we're not in a position <clears throat> to endorse anyone right now. I, I think we're still waiting to complete our careful analysis of what all the parties and the mayoral candidates have had to say. And I think, uh, very importantly, it's going to be interesting to to hear what's said to, tonight uh, at our forum.
0: Yeah, what are you hoping to hear? you want to hear a commitment for, what, an increased police budget?
2: Uh, well, we do need more resources, so that does mean, yes, there has to be an increase to the police budget.
0: And how many more police officers does the city need right now, would you say?
2: I know recently the chief uh, was out uh, and did speak to the media, and he suggested that we were looking at 60 or in need of 60 members. Um, you know i'm going back i look at 2007 the city had committed to uh, metro teams which were 40 people in 2017 we had an operational review that indicated we needed 190 members at that time the council of the day committed to 120 Uh, we still have not gotten uh, the 120 we've gotten 80 of the 120 so i mean you know I would say we need at least 100 members, if not more than 100.
0: How important an issue do you think this is for the voters of the city right now? There are so many problems facing the city. We got a housing crisis. We got affordability. We got drug overdose crisis. Where does public safety and police resourcing stack up? Like, what are you hearing from people?
2: and again there yes all very important topics all very important issues that the city has to deal with some of those issues again one would suggest that uh you know is it a municipal core service or is it something that should be dealt with at a federal or provincial level so certainly some concerns there when we're dealing with uh issues that should be dealt at higher levels of government now public safety and again is is crucial to our city um members of the public have to be safe and they have to be able everyone has to be safe and they have to be free from rampant crime and random attacks um so you know i know that if we had more police officers we'd be able to address uh public safety uh in in a much better way you know it's unfortunate a lot of times people are phoning the police and they're not getting the response that they they want they deserve and they need because we simply aren't in a position to get to them or get to them as quickly as we we could if we had enough people at work.
0: Ralph Kaisers, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Let's take a look at this uh, car market. Right now, are you in the market for a new or used vehicle? Well, as you probably know, it's not exactly a buyer's market out there. Supply chain issues have restricted the supply of vehicles. You may have heard about the computer chip shortage. Still a problem. Lots of people would like to switch over to an electric car and beat those record high gas prices right now, but... Those e vehicles not exactly a bargain either. I've got Sam Abul Samid standing by to discuss. First, have a listen to this report now from global news reporter Ann Gaviola.
3: The old adage that once you drive your new car off the lot, it depreciates by thirty percent doesn't apply right now. Prices for popular models of vehicles, including the Jeep Wrangler, Toyota 4Runner and Tacoma truck, are almost the same regardless of whether it's lightly used or new.
0: You see these um, admittedly quite crazy prices um, in the marketplace right now. Um, something that we've, you know, it's we've never ever seen before. Okay, let's discuss now with my guest, Sam Samid. Sam is Principal Analyst in e-mobility research with Guidehouse Insights. Hey, Sam, thanks for coming on today. Uh, thanks for having me, Mike. Sam, what's it like out there in this market? Is it still a jungle out there, or are the prices and supply getting better?
1: All I can say, I'm glad I had to shop your vehicle right now. Uh, it's still very, very tight out there for anybody looking for a new vehicle.
0: Yeah, so supply is still down. I did. I thought I saw a headline the other day that things were improving a little bit. They're
1: improving some areas, uh, still uh, tough. In other is, uh, of so the chip supply is getting better. There are still shortages of other. Ones. Okay.
0: We got your
1: recently. Four-
0: you're breaking up real bad on your phone, Sam. I don't know if you can step a little closer to a window or something. Maybe get a, maybe get a stronger cell signal. Speaking of Sam, Sam al uh, hey Sam, let's talk about electric vehicles right now. I mean, that's one of your areas of speciality. Is it tough to get a a decent quality uh, a used electric vehicle right now at a reasonable price? That sounds like it's almost Mission Impossible right now.
1: It it's tough to find almost anything at any kind of reasonable price right now. Um, the the supplies are still so tight. I mean, even uh, Ford is having trouble getting the blue oval badges to put on their vehicles. So you know, if, if, if they can't if they can't get the badges, you know, you can just imagine what other components are like.
0: Yeah. What about the computer chip issue? Is that is that getting better?
1: It, it has gotten somewhat better in some areas. There are still a lot of shortages of certain types of chips, but other others are getting better. So, you know, the, the problem is we're, we're having shortages across now across a wide variety of components, not just the chips
0: yeah how about some of the uh controversies around hidden hidden fees uh, There was a really interesting story on the weekend in the Vancouver Sun about people who are getting a little bit of sticker shock. they go to buy a vehicle and it turns out to be more expensive than they thought because there are some extra fees added on at the end they didn't know about is that yeah the big one go ahead the, the
1: big one there is the delivery charges um this has always been. Uh, you know, something that I've considered problematic. Um, most manufacturers do not include the delivery charge as part of the advertised price. Uh, GM is the only one that does that. Um, and so you end up having to pay anywhere from, you know, another 1000 to $2,000 on top of the advertised sticker price for delivery. Um, and that's, you know, that, that's a, that can be a bit of a shock when you get that. Um, the other one that is now coming up is GM uh, for their Buick, Cadillac, and GMC brands is making uh, a three-year subscription to their OnStar premium service, their telematics service, mandatory on those models for the 23 oh. model year. And so that's an extra 1500 bucks there.
0: Oh, mandatory. You can't opt out of it? You can
1: opt out of the service, but you still have to pay the service. Oh. So you can you can turn off the connectivity if you don't want it, but you're still going to pay the fifteen hundred bucks.
0: Oh my goodness! What do you think of that?
1: Uh, I think that that is a very bad policy; it's very consumer hostile.
0: Oh yeah, I would agree with you, and that seems to be a trend uh, in this market right now. I've heard of other manufacturers that are looking at these recurring monthly fees, subscription fees for for parts of the car, right?
1: Yeah, um, most manufacturers are looking at how they can start to get uh, recurring revenue streams because the financial markets love that idea. They love the idea of consumers paying for stuff in perpetuity. Um, GM, uh, Ford, and others have said in the past year that they're looking to double their revenues by 2030, in large part based on subscription fees. BMW has been experimenting with this in some markets, charging um you know something like eight dollars a month for a heated steering wheel, fourteen dollars a month for heated seats uh you know that in theory you can turn that off when you don't need it, so in the summer months you don't need heated seats, you can turn off that subscription, but the problem with subscriptions is most people they sign up and then they forget to turn it off and you end up paying for something uh for uh, forever
0: How can they possibly justify a monthly recurring fee for something like heated seats like how do they rationalize that are they saying that there are continual costs from the company to heat the seats of your car like how is that How do they? no the, the
1: the the idea is that you know if you've got certain features that you don't need all the time you can subscribe and pay for them only when you need them so you know things like the heated seats you know you don't really only need those in the winter months um so you know when it comes when the weather warms up you just Cancel that subscription, and you renew it you know in come you know November December time frame when it starts to cool off again. The problem is that uh to enable that you still have to build all that hardware into the vehicle so that limits how much the manufacturer can reduce the upfront price you know it, the, the The idea of the subscription would not be bad if the cars were actually cheaper upfront you know if I knew that you know if I could buy. A car that you know for last year cost fifty thousand dollars including the heated seats if I could buy it for 45 or forty thousand dollars now and then just sign up for those features on demand when I want them, then that would be fine but that's not what's likely to happen. You're not going to see that price price reduction because they still have to build in the hardware into the vehicles which cost the manufacturer money.
0: Well, I think that's kind of outrageous, and I'm sure some of these auto manufacturers are hearing complaints and griping from from customers with these type of recurring monthly fees. Like, I think that's put going too far.
1: Yeah, I mean, the BMW actually first tried this a couple of years ago with uh, Apple CarPlay. They tried to charge customers uh, an $80 a year subscription to use Apple CarPlay. Um, and there were so many complaints that they canceled that and um, they went back to just making it a, a one-time thing when you buy the car. But yeah, um, yeah for sure. You know, I, I think I think it's you know it's gonna you're still you're gonna see manufacturers continue to try to do this going forward because the potential for new revenues and new profits is huge.
0: Speaking to Sam Abul Samid, Sam is an expert in the auto uh, market. Right now, we're talking about some of the consumer issues, and you're out there looking for a new or used vehicle. You know, another thing you briefly touched on this Sam, I think it's important too. Like when you sign up for one of these recurring monthly fees, I mean, how many people out there just forget about that? They don't even know they're paying it. They just forget about it. They don't they forget to cancel it.
1: That's that's exactly the problem and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and more broadly, you know, not just in in the auto industry, but uh with media streaming as well. Uh, you know this is one of the things you need to do is check your bill check your credit card bill uh, or your bank statement um, you know every month and see what you're paying for and if there's things that you're not using go ahead and cancel them uh, I, we do that on a regular basis we canceled <laughs> cable TV years ago and and now you know we uh, subscribe and unsubscribe to various media streaming services uh, on a regular basis depending on if we're actually using them or not
0: yeah, yeah. How about just going back to some of those hidden costs that people get this the surprise sticker shock when they buy a vehicle, some of those fee like delivery fees, that kind of thing. Do you think there should be a consumer protection law that says, look, the the you must advertise the all-in price up front, like tell the consumer right at the start this is the total all-in price. Forget about these like surprises at the after you've signed the deal.
1: I think that's actually a great idea, especially for any items that are going to be mandatory. Like you cannot opt out of a delivery fee. You can't just go to the factor, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> you can't just go to the factory and pick up the, the your car at the gates and not have to pay the delivery fee. You still have to pay that. So if it's a mandatory fee, that should be included in the price that you advertise.
0: End yeah. of story. I agree with you. Sam, thank you for coming on today. My pleasure. Have a great day. Alright, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the concussion story that is rocking professional football right now. If you've been following this one, the scary head injury suffered by the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins, Tua Tungovaloa, this exciting young player here. He took a brutal shot in one game. He's A lot of you may have seen him staggering and wobbling around the field. It was cleared to play in the next game anyway. Suffered an even scarier-looking injury. i got Tim Fleiser standing by to discuss this. At First, have a listen to this report now from ABC News. And
3: down he goes. It was this terrifying injury seen by millions. A second head hit in less than a week for the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins, triggering an investigation into the team's handling of the NFL's concussion protocol. Tua Tangovailoa sacked in last night's game against the Bengals, his back and head slamming the turf. You can see his fingers seizing, what's known as fencing.
4: It's a neurological response
2: to head trauma.
5: This posturing response certainly signifies that a head injury has occurred, but does not really tell us anything about the severity of that head injury.
3: Tua went to the hospital, but later and flew home with the team. The Dolphins last night announcing he suffered head and neck injuries.
0: The best news that we could get is that everything is checked out, um, that he didn't uh, have any, anything more serious than um, a, a concussion.
3: But the worry is repeated concussions. Just four days earlier, Tua was knocked to the ground and hit in his head in a game.
0: Tua, oh, he's woozy
3: staggering on the field afterwards
0: okay let's discuss this now with my guest tim flyzer tim is the executive director of the concussion legacy foundation in canada tim is a former cfl football player he was 10 seasons in the cfl he won the gray cup four times with four different teams the only guy has ever done that and i'm very pleased to welcome tim back to the show hey tim thanks for coming on today
6: Thanks for
0: having me. Yeah, you bet, Tim, it's my I I appreciate it a lot. Tim, let's uh let's start with the the Tua story here, Tua Tunga-Vailoa, the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins here. Let's go back to the first hit first of all, is when the, all this started. Uh last Sunday when he took a shot and went down and you know, people saw I'm sure many listeners saw the video of him kind of staggering or stumbling on the field. It sure looked like a it sure looked like a head injury. And then the team said, oh, no, no, he just injured his back. Like, what did you think of that, first of all, when you saw that?
6: Well, look, I, I think most people that saw that play um, all came to the same conclusion, that it sure seemed like he had been concussed on the play. And so, you know, I think, think people were surprised, you know, when you consider, especially when you've invested $30 million in your quarterback, you know, in many ways it's surprising he wasn't pulled immediately. Um, you know, considering, you know, the supposedly independent spotter and, um, you know, what you would hope that we would understand at this point, um, you know, basically 15 years in after people started talking about brain injuries in sport and started focusing on it. uh, You think you think that things would have worked better at that point?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think and certainly in hindsight, or even at the time, though, I mean, I think it would have been pretty clear that, that, you know, this guy should be He'd not be playing. He should not have gone back in that game. He's not should not have played the next game. Were you were you surprised to see him back on the field so quickly?
6: Oh, in, in terms of him playing the next game, I I never even thought for a second there was even a possibility that he was going to play. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody was buying. You know what was put out that you know this was a this was a back injury and. You know, so I mean, sometimes games are played, you know, with the opposition in, in advance of games of, you know, maybe he played he'll play, maybe he wouldn't. And I sort of figured it was just kind of, you know, posturing on their on their behalf. Um, I was totally surprised. I wasn't watching the game. I have three young children now, so I don't, <laughs> don't necessarily have have the time to be watching uh, football games on a on a Thursday night. But was totally shocked to wake up Friday morning to see that not only he played, but that he had actually gotten hurt. I'm um, yeah. Very disappointed.
0: Yeah. No, it was really disturbing. Uh, the next game, when he suffered an even scarier-looking injury, just really violently flung to the ground. You see his his head bounce off the turf, and then his his fingers kind of um, seizing up like that. As you heard in that news report, we played known as a fencing response, which is indicated a brain trauma. Have you ever seen something like that, Tim? Like a guy, you know, take a shot. And 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 his fingers kind of seize up like that.
6: Yeah, unfortunately, you know we've we've seen that a couple of times. I mean, the other place you see that sometimes is, is with boxing or, or in the UFC. Um, you know, and I think in in many ways that's what people are reacting to. You know, if you just kind of lying on the field um, without that response, I'm not sure the reaction would have been as strong. Um, and and you certainly hope he's going to be okay uh, first yeah. and foremost. But I will say that uh, I am encouraged by the public's response, but, but also the media response um, where, you know, pe- people are saying this, this just isn't acceptable. And, um, you know, also encouraged listening to a lot of the sportscasters, a lot of former players that seem like, you know, like I said, 15 years in, like they're finally getting it, talking about the fact that, you know, after the first concussion, the brain is much more vulnerable. Um, It it seems like and it's you know, it's just terrible that it takes another incident like this to get people's attention. But uh, it seems like people are finally starting to understand the details of brain injuries and uh, and what needs to happen to prevent them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, For sure. Speaking of Tim Fleiser, Tim is a former player in the Canadian Football League, 10 seasons in the CFL. He's now executive director of the Concuss- Concussion Legacy Foundation Canada. Tim, in, in your playing days, uh, did you had a concussion, right, or more than one, I believe?
6: Yeah, th- three diagnosed. Um, you know, it was what we now understand are all concussive events, which is, you know, getting a headache or seeing stars. I, I mean, that sort of thing used to happen all the time. Um, and back then, we just used to laugh it off. Uh, but we now understand that uh, that those are
0: actually symptoms of brain injury. Yeah, would you say that, you know, I've often heard that on a player's perspective, even if a player suffers a really brutal hit, that the first instinct is, put me in, coach. Like, don't take me out of the game. Let me keep playing. Like, would you say that's sort of the the usual response? Oh,
6: I mean, absolutely, right? And And, yeah. you know, asking somebody who's neurologically impaired to self-diagnose is an absolutely terrible strategy. I mean, it's analogous to asking somebody who's had too many drinks if they're too drunk to drive. And so that's yeah. we've long advocated in a lot of our, our prevention programs, um, you know that we do all across the country with, with young people and young athletes, is uh, we advocate the, the bystander model. And um, that was, again, one of the things that I was encouraged in terms of seeing some of the sports casters uh, discussing this hit. Um, was uh, um, talking about you know the need for teammates to intervene. I mean it's uh, a lot of times that that's what we've seen. And you know you you look at this situation again. You know national TV, a supposedly you know independent spotter that's there looking for these type of injuries. You know what you worry about is is you know the 13 year old hockey player or soccer player down the road that have none of these advantages. You know, and if we can't catch concussions and, and do it properly when it's happening on national TV, I mean, what hope do we have uh, for, my, for minor players across the country? And, uh, and so, again, that's where this bystander model, because often what you're going to see is, even if the coach doesn't notice or the referee or all the people in minor sports that you would hope would intervene, generally the teammates do. Um, so uh, that's where this would have been a great opportunity for uh, the bystander model to be implemented.
0: Yeah, and the, that bystander model that you're describing there—like, how would that work? Like, the, uh, the uh, teammates would be able to intervene.
6: Well, that's it, exactly. I mean, it doesn't need to be a formal process. It's, it's—you know—if you notice that your teammates is is neurologically impaired in some kind of way, or or has been concussed, or there's suspicion of a brain injury, it's it's get them off the field and get them evaluated by a coach or a trainer or get them to a doctor.
0: Yeah. Hey, Tim, you mentioned like when we talk about amateur and minor league sports here in Canada. And I think that's a a key point that we should not forget. Like there's a lot of focus on the CFL or the NFL, the CFL. But let's talk about kids playing uh, contact sports, like whether it's hockey, football, rugby. Do you think there needs to be changes in the sports and, and, and amateur sports in Canada to protect young kids from these injuries?
6: Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think it's a much different conversation when again, you know, you're talking about an NFL quarterback that's on a $30 million contract. I mean, I think we, you know, are, are much more concerned about, you know, the young athletes that that are, that are playing, you know, hopefully playing for all the, all the right reasons, which, you know, sport is supposed to be about personal development and growth and, and enjoyment and, um, you know, again, it's it's what's disheartening is if they can't get it right at the NFL level, it's like, what hope do we have of keeping our young athletes safe? Um, and, and so, look, I will say that, again, from an awareness standpoint, I think we're moving in the right direction. Um, but it just goes to show, you know, again, 15 years after this conversation started that we can't even at the NFL level get the basics right. Um, I mean, it just goes to show that, you know, so much more work to do and um, where, you know, we are most concerned is the example that this sets for minor for minor athletes and uh, the administration of minor sports, you know, particularly here in Canada.
0: Hey, Tim, thank you for your time today. And I really admire your advocacy on this issue. And I appreciate your time today. Thanks a lot.
6: No problem. Thanks for having me on. If anybody wants more information on what we do, our website is concussionfoundation.ca.
0: Let's talk about how sky-high inflation now is hammering so many families out there, really whacking people in the wallet. And especially when you go to the grocery store, food prices right now are just crazy high, 11% inflation overall for food prices in Canada. The amount that food is rising in price is galloping even higher than the general inflation rate. That has been the trend over the last 13 months. So it's been 13 months in a row that the food inflation rate has been higher than the general inflation rate. So people, you're really getting squeezed at the grocery store now. Everybody experiences this. Like, when I'm at the grocery store now, it's, it's astonishing to see some of these prices. You talk about price of meat? Oh, my goodness. I like to do a Sunday roast now and then for my for my kids. They love it. But man, oh, man. You go to buy a nice roast in the grocery store, you need, lot, you need a line of credit to afford, like, a rib roast or something like that. Forget about that. Lots of people are cutting back. Lots of people are trying to find ways to save money, especially at the grocery store. And we got the greatest guest you can get on that, Kathleen Cassidy. Kathleen is an avid couponer, and she's the founder of the Instagram page Living on a Looney. And I'm very pleased to welcome her. Hey, Kathleen.
5: Hello, how are you?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for doing this, and congratulations all your with all on all your success here with living on a loony T- tell me what you do there on your at uh, living on a loony what kind of advice do you give out
5: yeah so it kind of got popular i would say over the last You know, year or so, but my intention originally was just to share my personal couponing and how I saved money. And as times are kind of getting tougher over the last year or so, and especially now, as you mentioned in the grocery store, uh, Living on a Looney has kind of grown to be this Canadian page where I share a bunch of different deals on groceries, everyday items, and show you either how to coupon, how to shop smart, how to price match, and just tons of other skills that a lot of people don't necessarily know are ways to save money in Canada.
0: I love it. I think that's awesome what you're doing there. And people need these tips and advice here, especially right now. And, you know, there's something very satisfying about saving some money with a, with a coupon. I mean, I, I don't do it very often. I Maybe I should. But, man, if you take that coupon to the grocery store and you get a, even like a buck off or something, that makes you feel good.
5: A hundred percent, yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. So when did you start? Like, I've heard you described as an extreme couponer. Is that correct? <laughs>
5: Uh, I could say, yeah, you could say that now. I originally started about ten years ago, and I was just a university student who was looking to save some extra money, um, as we all know you know, tuition is not cheap. And I was just kind of hoping to stretch my dollars a little further when it came to specifically going to the grocery store, what was I spending money on for everyday items, but also wanting to be able to save money for future, you know, still go out um, to concerts or to eat with my friends on trips. So that's kind of where this all started. And initially, I thought I would stop couponing after university. And clearly, that has not happened as the world has just, you know, become a little bit more crazy. So we continue to coupon and save money wherever we can
0: okay that's that's really interesting and i think for when people think about coupons you think about the old school kind of clipping your coupons right out of the newspaper or flyer or whatever and i get do you still do that or is it all like on a smartphone app or there's still paper coupons you can get
5: There are still some paper coupons that you're definitely, you know, not sitting at your kitchen table cutting them out of flyers that much anymore. A lot of the times, the easiest way to find coupons, especially if you're starting out, is actually just within the grocery stores. So in grocery stores, there can be coupons directly on products that a lot of people actually miss. They don't notice till they get home or even on the shelves. So there can be coupons right in front of you. It's just kind of, you know, a bit of a mind game and getting used to looking for those coupons when you're walking in the grocery store. And then the other way, which is becoming more popular, as you mentioned, would be more digital coupons. So that can be in terms of, you know, loyalty points they are great. We're looking at cashback apps, just a lot of different areas to save money.
0: Okay. Let's talk about some of those apps, because those are getting more and more popular now. Like, what are some of the best apps or programs that you would recommend?
5: Yeah, so I think the first one is just a basic flyer app. So personally, I use the Flip app. F-L-I-P-P, and this is an app that's uh, free in the app store and basically just shows you all of the flyers in your area. So this is really good if you are price matching or even just, you know, not necessarily grocery store loyal and looking at whoever has the best deals this week, you know, that's where I'm going to shop. So that's one that I like to kind of just get used to, you know, what is a good sale price? What am I looking for? And be a little bit more price conscious that way and then you can go into other apps such as a uh, cashback app that we talked about a good one is called Checkout 51 and this app basically gives you money back for your everyday purchases so in this app it's again free to download you would upload your receipt and they have specific offers every week you know save a dollar save $6 save $8 so it really depends on the item But it's kind of like the new retro, you know, more mainstream version of the old uh, mail-in rebates, but it's all done digital now.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. And how much money can you save doing this?
5: So, again, it really depends on how much effort, time and, you know, kind of your family size and everything, what you want to put into it, I always say. Um, But I'm able to save thousands of dollars a year for my family. And then as well, I do a lot of donations just because you're able to get a lot of super cheap or free items out of couponing once you kind of, you know, learn the basics and get to know what's going on.
0: Right. So it's, it's worth the effort, you would say.
5: A hundred percent. I would say it's worth the effort. I definitely know everyone has different circumstances in their lives, but for me, it has been a huge blessing to not only be able to kind of change my personal finances for my immediate family, but again, also help the community through donations and other aspects as well.
0: Right. Speaking to Kathleen Cassidy, living on a loony on Instagram. She's got thousands of followers on there. Helping Canadians save money at the, at the grocery store. Do you think like when people start getting into this, Kathleen, and they start trying it for the first time, are, do you find a lot of people are surprised by how much they can save?
5: A hundred percent. I actually get a lot of comments on social media and it's so wholesome but a lot of people are like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm following your videos. I'm taking coupons from the store and I know that I'm saving money. And that really makes me laugh because that's how you learn, right? That's the whole point of my page and the videos I post now is to kind of take you step by step, you know, what grocery store are you going to, what product are we buying, you know, how much does it cost in the end? And then you could decide, you know, is this a deal for me and my family or
0: can I pass on this one? All right. We're talking couponing and saving money at the grocery store with my guest, Kathleen Cassidy, living on a Looney, is her Instagram page. Got thousands of followers on there, helping people save money while they're shopping for food. How do you save money? Call me and let me know. Have you made any choices in, at grocery stores lately to change your buying habits? With the record high inflation we got right now, phone me right now, 604-280-9898 is the number, star 9898 on your cell. Uh, Kathleen, you were mentioning that when you started out on this couponing thing, you're a younger person. Did you think this would take off in the way it has for you? Has that surprised you?
5: Definitely surprised me. I am very fortunate to have gained thousands of followers within just a year, uh, which is still insane to me, uh, but very happy to be able to kind of spread the knowledge that I've kind of self-taught myself uh, to others and hopes that it helps them as well.
0: What's the What's the best deal you ever got with a coupon, would you say?
5: Uh, the best deal, just anything for free, to be honest. Being able <laughs> oh. to take something out of the store for free And, you know, it feels wrong, but right at the same time.
0: (laughs) Are there a lot of those around, like freebies?
5: Uh, Honestly, a lot of pages will do. So, for example, if you're on social media, I definitely always recommend following your favorite brands. Because a lot of the times, especially when they're testing out new products or they're kind of, you know, doing some marketing experiments, we'll say, they do release on their social medias you know, hey, you can get a free coupon for X product that's new or this product. Um, so there are quite a few opportunities. Again, it's just kind of learning where those are. And a lot of those, again, I do post on my page so that others can get them as well. But that's one of the tips I've definitely learned. And if you have a favorite company or brand, don't be afraid to send them an email or give them a phone call and just ask if they have any coupons, we will mail you.
0: Wow. Okay. Take the initiative. A hundred percent. I like it. I like it. 604-280-9898. If you have any tips yourself on how to save money at the grocery store, please call me right now. 604-280-9898. Star 9898. Toll free on your cell. Malcolm on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Malcolm. Good
2: morning, people. Um, Uh, I look for the uh, the stickers on the meat products. I'm Scottish. I love being cheap. So when it says 30% off... I have a freezer at home. I buy as much as I can because I can turn whatever it is into soup, steaks, or, you know, whatever the case may be. And when it comes to my small produce, I go to the little Persian and Chinese stores because their apples or, you know, whatever is going to be appreciably lower than the big box stores, such as, you know, the Save-Ons and uh, City Markets and whatever. So I split it up. Um, and I avoid the stores that don't put on the meats at a lower price. So at City okay. Market and uh, on Foods... Always have twenty five to thirty percent off.
0: Okay, Malcolm, thank you for that. I'm the same way. I will if I see if I'm shopping for meat and I see a you know three dollar off sticker on there because it's nearing the expiration date. I don't hesitate. I will buy that. I will buy that for sure. Kathleen, what do you think of that?
5: A hundred percent. That's a really great tip. Um, what they're referring to is when you are looking for your meat, and this also happens with some produce um, as well as bakery items, definitely be looking for discount stickers. So a lot of the time they can either be a percentage sticker, like this case sounded like 30% off, 50% off, or also an actual dollar value sticker. And that's just because they either need to move products, they've ordered too much, um, or it's getting close to that expiry date. But again, you can freeze meat, uh, cut, you know, cut it up, or put it in the portions that you think you need. And that also helps you meal prep prep for the future as well. So a great tip.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I also find too, like if you have the time and you have the ability, if you can get to the store early, I've heard that as well, go to the store early and, you know, early bird gets the worm, as they say, or maybe the $3 off sticker in this case.
5: A hundred percent. I always recommend either first thing kind of in the morning, you know, on your way to work, before work, if you can, or right before they close at night is a great time.
0: Yeah, Yeah, for sure. 604-280-9898. Phone me on saving money at the grocery store. Star 9898. Toll free in your cell. Ryan in Surrey. Hi, Ryan. Go ahead.
2: Hey. Um, I was just going to say that, uh, credit card loyalty systems. So like, you know, Aventures and Avions and all those, they always have different, um, point values. So like with mine, um, 5,000 points, um, gets you a $50 gas card, but to get a $50 grocery card, it's like 7,500 points. And similarly with, um, more rewards that save on like the point value is all over the place. If you get eggs, it's, way higher than if you get a cucumber Um, there's all sorts of different things so they try and you really have to watch what your um, actual point values are too with whatever kind of loyalty programs you're using
0: okay great point there kathleen your thoughts
5: Yes. Loyalty points are a great way. Um, I know they're kind of different across the country, but definitely mine is uh, PC Optimum points in terms of a lot of stores. Um, I know Steam points are kind of rolling out across now too, but if you don't have a loyalty points card, that is the easiest way to start saving money is just sign up and start scanning your card. But really, if you can start to understand their point system and what is a good deal, you can really get a huge amount of savings just on basic free loyalty points cards. And then you can also, you know, get the credit card that accompanies, you know, where you normally shop as well to save even more.
0: Let's go to John on the line in Burnaby. Hi, John. Go ahead.
6: Yeah, good morning. Uh, The way that we've been saving food actually for quite a while now is using a free app called Flash Food. And we go into it a couple of times a day. You'll find food that typically is expiring within a couple of days at Superstore, Wholesale Club. And most of the food is 50% off. Everything from salmon to meat to breads, and uh we've been using it for a while now, and we've been saving a ton of money on it.
0: wow okay have you we got 30 seconds left here Kathleen flash food? Have you heard of that one?
5: Yes, Flash Food is great. I do have some tutorials on my page for that one as well. Everything we've talked about is kind of on my page, but Flash Food is an amazing one. You do, again, same thing, kind of check it early in the morning to make sure that you're getting the most deals um, because people kind of pick away at it throughout the day. But, again, 50% or more is what everything is on um, clearance on that app for. And, again, close to expired items, just trying to get them out the door to save them from going to waste.
0: Kathleen, real quick, where can people find you online?
5: Yes, so it is living on a loony on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, you name it, you'll find me. But a lot of great resources in the link in my bio as well. I have everything kind of split out where you can find coupons, what apps are useful. So hopefully that can help you as well as awesome. tutorials.
0: Okay, continued success to you, Kathleen. Thank you for coming on.
5: Thank you so much.
0: Let's talk about the story now that everyone is talking about The great fishing scandal here that has now hit the Lake Erie Walleye Championship Tournament. The absolutely incredible video that has emerged from this. The two apparent winners of the tournament disqualified after they were caught stuffing lead weights down the throats of the fish. This has shocked the world of professional fishing. These guys were poised to win a lot of money here for winning this tournament until someone smelled something here, I'm not talking about the fish. They smelled something funny going on, and they were caught. Have a listen to a bit of the audio here from this viral video. After the director of the tournament cut open the uh, walleye and found the lead weights inside, boy, some of these other fishermen were angry. Have a listen. I want
1: you to leave. I don't want anybody to
2: touch these guys.
0: This is a fillet. A, yeah. a It's a walleye fillet. He needs to go to jail. Yeah, he needs to Okay, people were absolutely furious. Let's talk to a reporter who's following this story now, Matt Markey. Matt is the outdoors editor of the Toledo Blade newspaper, and I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Hey, Matt, thanks a lot for coming on. Happy to join you. Just wish it was maybe a more positive story. Yeah, Matt, what a story. This is wild. This story has gone around the world. I mean, every major media outlet now is covering this story. It was just crazy. First, can you explain to the listeners, how did all this go down? How did these guys get caught? Well, they had won um, three or four
4: tournaments prior to this one, and there were always rumblings in the background and uh, other people saying they had to cheat and so on. But in this case, I think when once the tournament director, if you're a walleye fisherman and you hold up a 25-inch fish, you know its weight range is going to be a certain pound or two. And if you hold up a 30-inch walleye, you know the same thing. He held up a fish that he thought should weigh four pounds, and he put it on the scale and it weighed six. And yeah. I think um, at that point, some of the other fishermen in the crowd, there's a lot of money on the line, and they're all yelling and so on. So he gets a knife and cuts the thing open. And when those there were two uh, 12-ounce egg sinkers, lead sinkers in that first fish, And then as he cut the rest of them open, they all had uh, lead and there were also some strips of walleye meat that they had thrown in there maybe to muffle the the clanging of the lead. So uh, (laughs) he was suspicious just because that size of fish, you know, shouldn't shouldn't have weighed that much.
0: Yeah, good lord! And then the video is just unbelievable, which I encourage people to check out online as the the local anglers there in this contest react to this revelation. These guys had been under suspicion before, though, right, Matt? That's right. It's been under suspicion for a little more than a year
4: because they even if you're the best fisherman in the world and have the best equipment, you don't win you know three four tournaments in a row because there is a luck element involved. It's the weather. It's the vagaries of fish behavior and it's a very big lake but these guys were just too good to have any other explanation that they were doing something outside the rules and i think what's happened is it's a big wake-up call for the people that sponsor these tournaments that they have to police it a little bit better but it could have been a riot if the police hadn't been there to keep these guys protected from the mob it could easily have been a real mess
0: Yeah, I'm actually surprised in some ways that it didn't turn into mob violence. These other fisher, these other anglers were so angry, but nobody, you know, I was waiting for somebody to start throwing knuckle sandwiches there, but it didn't happen.
4: No, and I think that's because the police were there, and I think uh, the guy who runs the tournament is also an off-duty police officer in the Cleveland area, and he was trying to keep them, you know, from doing that. But you could see where the rage came from because as I tally this up in the past tournaments, they probably cheated their fellow competitors out of anywhere from three hundred
0: to $400,000. Whoa. Whoa. I mean, we're talking big money here.
4: That's right. There are, two, there are two big fall walleye tournaments on Lake Erie that start October 15th and then end the weekend of Thanksgiving. And if you win both of those, you will take home uh, over a quarter million dollars. It, it's incredible oh. the amount of money that's involved.
0: Yeah, no, there is big money on the line here. Speaking to Matt Markey from the Toledo Blade newspaper. Matt's been on this story of the shocking fishing scandal here in the walleye tournament on Lake Erie. Matt, one of the things I find fascinating about your work is that you'd written about these guys before because there had been suspicions about these these two in past tournaments when they won past tournaments. And tell me about the uh the lie detector test. Didn't they have to take a lie detector test at one point? In, in the two biggest tournaments where the first prize
4: is anywhere from 125 to 150000 you have to take a polygraph after the tournament just to make sure that you played by the rules and there wasn't anything nefarious going on. And they entered both tournaments last year, and they finished first in both, but they were disqualified in one of the tournaments because they failed the polygraph. And then uh-huh. they, in the other tournament, they passed the polygraph. So I guess we've learned once again that uh, lie detector tests aren't foolproof. But, and then they went to court and sued to try to get the winnings from the one where they were disqualified. And just time after time claimed that they were innocent. They played by the rules. They had an army of attorneys, and they were fighting this thing. And then now I would imagine that, that case was thrown out at, when the court opened this morning.
0: Okay, and this story now is just huge. I mean, it's gone absolutely viral. There is a lot of reaction pouring into it, especially from the professional fishing circuit, which is, like you pointed out, Matt, we're talking big money. This is big money, big business. So have a listen to this. This is professional angler Chris Bushart and his thoughts on it. Then I'll get your thoughts, Matt. Have a listen. Okay. If we got it. Do we have that audio, Phil? Okay, we don't have that audio. Oh, that's, that's okay. What, what are you hearing, Mar- Matt? I mean, this is a huge story. What are you hearing from people? What do they, what do they want to have see, see happen to these guys?
4: Well, they, they want them, it is a felony, the amount of fraud that's involved. So they want them charged uh, with a felony. And I think the, the ultimate solution here would be to plea bargain, to have them fess up to the cheating in the past and then return that money because a lot of people that supposedly finished second are now looking at the fact that they were robbed of, you know, first place money. So I think that's the, that's the best scenario, but a lot of these fishermen are just furious because most of them have a hundred grand invested in their fishing boat, trailer equipment, electronics, and so on. So this isn't a, you know, a small thing for them and there's a lot of money on the line. They want to see these guys stripped of all the winnings and then have those placed in you know, to the people who properly won them.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean think that would be justice served for sure. Okay, we have this clip now of professional angler Chris Bushart talking about this and I'll get your thoughts, Matt. Let's have a listen.
1: These two yahoos here had five wall that weighed thirty three and some change. I think it was pretty close to thirty four pounds. They had eight pounds of weights, lead ball weights, shoved down into them five fisher, so they could win, so they could, they could have the notoriety where well, we won. Well, who cares? You cheated. You took all these folks' money by cheating, Jack. If you need money that bad, go get you a job somewhere. A job, work. Fishing's supposed to be fun.
0: Yeah, I thought the thing that jumped out at me there was what he's saying, like you know, if you want money that bad. Really, is this how low you're prepared to sink to make this much money? Like, do you find it shocking, Matt? I mean, you're a guy who's been covering, covering like fishing in, in Ohio for a long time. You know, the guys would actually have you know, the nerve to try something like this.
4: I, I find it shocking how, how primitive their attempt was because the, the lead, throwing the lead weights down the gullet, I would think a, a 12-year-old kid would come up with that as a way to enhance the weight. You know, yeah. I found that shocking. But in previous tournaments they've been accused of going out and maybe fishing the week prior to the tournament, catching a couple big ones, putting them in a live well and keeping them there, and then going out during the tournament and then registering those early caught fish as their catch for the tournament. So there's several ways that they've been accused of cheating, but the lead weights in the gut I think is is probably the most primitive and the most cavalier. But I think They must have got away with it so often that they just became more brazen and thought that, you know, they could slip this by anyone.
0: Yeah. How come they didn't catch them earlier if this had been going on for a long time? Like I was I listened very carefully to the video that came out and you can hear guys in the crowd saying, how long has this been going on? You guys have been doing this for years. How many years has been going? Why did it take so long to catch them, do you think? I think it's because. Nobody would step forward and file a
4: formal appeal or charge against them because in these tournaments, if you want to make an appeal or charge that somebody's cheating, it's 500 bucks to make the appeal. But then also if you're wrong, that's basically the end of your career. So nobody would step forward on the record. I heard from a lot of these guys who said, you know they're cheating, but they wouldn't yeah. go on the record. I think the reason they got away with it is because a lot of these fellow competitors, you know, they wanted to say it, but they didn't want to say it on the record or file a formal complaint against them. So unfortunately they played out the string and they've probably won, you know, four or five tournaments, you know, by cheating. And it just took something this brazen in order for them
0: to get caught. Yeah. Well, they got caught this time, Matt, we're following the story closely. You've done a great job on this story. Thank you for coming on today. I right, appreciate the time. Thank you.